Okay, if you would, turn with me. I'll be starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But before I go there, I want to discuss a few things that we have spent the last several Sundays discussing the multiple aspects and understanding of biblical stewardship. We've talked about the basic definition of that. We've talked about um, what stewardship is. We talked about the original stewardship in the garden with man and woman. We talked about the individual stewardship responsibility. We talked about the collective and or church level stewardship. And all the topics that I feel that the Lord has placed on my heart to share with you all. And to summarize all these topics. It really boils down to how do I apply these very clearly seen biblical practices to my life? When and where do they apply? No one person in family or church has them completely figured out. I do want to make this a point, though. However, the successful aforementioned of all those things, those different avenues in which biblical stewardship is applied, right? There is without question, without question, a certain level of success that goes along with that. And I'm not talking about man, man's level of success, but success in the Lord. People that have those things figured out are more spiritually successful in their life than others. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not a race, although the Bible does say it is a race in some regards, but to treat it as a race. It's not, a, it's not a scale that we compare against each other, but, but it's there are some people that handle life and the challenges of life better than others. Is that not a true statement? Like it or not. It's not I'm not talking about how people can tell you how they handle things. What I'm talking about is how well they handle things through action. Stewardship is, is, implies action, deeds, duties, responsibilities, taking those things as serious, doing it because it's the right thing to do, doing it because it brings honor and glory to God, doing it because if you've committed to your brother or sister or to a friend that you see it through to the end. Why? Because that is what a responsible Christian does. Doesn't mean that we don't fail. Doesn't mean that we don't make a mistake. Hey, listen, when you make a mistake, when you fail somebody, a good steward says, you know what? I'm sorry. I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Or can I make that right by you? Is there something that I can do to, to, to make it up to you? Or something like you say, well, you shouldn't run around always indebted to people. Well, you are indebted to Jesus Christ. Never forget that. Never forget that because there is nothing that we can do on this earth that would qualify us in the eyes of God except for give our lives to our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for that, we are forever indebted to him. There's a distinct understanding and practical application of stewardship principles in people that are successful. If you've been given responsibilities and those responsibilities have to be taken away from you because you cannot perform, you are not a good steward. You are not managing the things that you have been entrusted with.
properly. Good news is, as long as there's air in your lungs and you got brethren around you, that can be fixed. Amen? But we must first honestly and properly look at what the scripture teaches us concerning those things. And I do believe, and this is what I would say a summary of all the things that we've looked at. It's really kind of driving home the idea of all those different things that we've looked at that I just mentioned in there. Number one is start with the foundation. If you want to have a good understanding of what biblical stewardship is, you have to start at the foundation. The foundation of that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is where I asked you all to turn to already. Every message and everything that we teach and preach at, the, at its core should circle back to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If it doesn't, that's not spirit-led. That's not Christ-centered either. So we've got to be careful of those things. And so, now with that verse, first verse, it says, Be imitators, imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions that I just, just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying and prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off and her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man not, ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but for woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have the symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man nor man independent of woman. Whereas the woman originates from man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. He drives it home. I'll stop in verse 12. You go, What do you mean? There's God at the top, Christ, man, woman, and we'll get to another verse, children. There is a definite hierarchy. In the home. That is not to say that a woman is subservient to the man. The woman has a different level of responsibility. Because would you say that Christ is subservient to God? Well, that's kind of hard because then because Christ is the physical manifestation of God, isn't he? Is he not? Is that not who Jesus is? When the scripture talks about, well, in Hebrews, it talks about he, he did not grasp equality with God or did not equate equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? No, what, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, when he came down in the flesh, he became a little lower than the angels, as Hebrews talks about while he was here. Oh, why? Well, for you and I, for fellowship, for companionship, for salvation. For sanctification. 
They're different levels, different positions. There's one thing that cannot and must not be misunderstood, especially in today's day and age, that the man has more responsibility in the household than the woman. Husbands, you are absolutely, unequivocally, there is no question, you are in charge of the spirituality of your home. That falls on you, not your wife. Now, will your wife fill that gap for you? Absolutely. Can you still serve God that way? Yeah, you can, but it's impeded and there's problems and there's challenges that are associated with that. Not because it's the way I say it and not because it's it's a it's a dominance thing. It's it's because of the responsibility and the accountability is off. It is not being followed and executed the way that God designed it. There's very few places in the scripture that he gives us examples there. He gives us literally item upon item of the structure and how it goes. The church is one of them and the home is the other. The rest of the New Testament, you know, it's there's a lot of commandments. There's a lot of instructions. There's a lot of responsibilities that fall in there. But there's a lot of freedom in that, too. Talk about food, you talk about days of the week, you talk about all these different things. None of that stuff really matters. It's like, yeah, you know, you kind of figure it out as you go. This, this is not a figure it out as you go. It's been set up. The world and Satan currently and actively would like to tear this down and is actively tearing this down. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> and if you before we go into Ephesians chapter 5, there was an interesting scripture that at the end of there, it says that, you know, man originates from woman now, right? And so there's this interdependency that goes in between a man and a woman. So... A man cannot do it by himself, nor can a woman do it by themselves. Does it happen? It does happen. It's just not ideal when that takes place, correct? That doesn't mean that you can't serve God and be a single mother. That's not what's being told. Matter of fact, on the opposite, if you're a single mother and you serve God, you actually end up being both mom and dad. And if you're a single father, kind of the same thing. And I can tell you that fathers are usually not very good at trying to be mothers. There's a uniqueness to God's creation to both man and woman. There is an absolute uniqueness in his creation of mankind. Blending those lines and saying that those things don't matter, you take away the uniqueness of each one of those creations. And you, you begin to tear at the fiber of the family, the home, and begin to lose the understanding that God created women. Women, to, one of the things that you you bear children. That is an absolute amazing process. Amazing. If it were left to men, there would be far less children in this world. I believe that. Like one kid max. Is how that would go. 
like that ain't never happening again. Take it all out. Whatever I got that's in there that allows that, take it out. I'll never want that to happen again. But women have an innate desire that God places inside them to, to be mothers, to do that. And so that when we don't understand that those responsibilities, it's different. Men, we're supposed to lead our homes. We're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. We're interconnected to one another, interdependent upon one another. It's not a, a position that's higher that, that you look at and you go, ah, I'm the boss and I get to tell you what to do. If you ain't the spiritual leader of that household, she's going to tell you what to do. You go back to Genesis chapter three and you'll find out why. That is a dead giveaway for you men out there that don't lead your homes right. When your wife is telling you what to do, you go back to Genesis chapter three. It might be verse 16, if I remember correctly. You ain't leading like you're supposed to. Her desire is for you. You weak, if you're weak, she'll fill the gap. Spiritually speaking. And the understanding that that position and those places are absolutely vital in understanding our stewardship to him. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as Christ, uh, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present him, himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that they would be holy and blameless. It goes on. So husbands ought to also love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm also speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is, is also to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects or fears her husband. You go, whoa, what is, what is being said? That there is an interdependency. There's an interdependent relationship between a husband and wife. If a husband and wife do not have a God-centered Focus, focused marriage, they will not understand how to properly serve God. Does that make sense? Starts in the home. It starts when you leave this place and you go home. It starts for all of us. He tells them there that you husbands ought to love your wives as your own body. So in other words... This isn't a hierarchy thing like the Gentiles or what we would think in the flesh. You go, well, I'm the boss. Everything I say goes. I've been the boss on multiple platforms. Generally speaking, leadership that leads like that gets left behind. Or you're off by yourself. Why? Because dictatorships don't last. True leaders in power. 
True leaders and husbands learn to empower their wives, learn to empower their children, learn to teach their children through the scripture to demonstrate these things. Dictatorships, that's not what he calls for. Because when you step in as a dictator, because I said so, there's one person in this hierarchy and structure that says that. And it ain't you, and it ain't one of any one of us sitting out there. It ain't you. It's the Lord. Because God says so. If God doesn't say so, then you don't say so. Everything that we do as a family and everything that we, that we interact must be biblically based. You stand on those things. Why? Because it's a whole lot better than you and me. <laughs> We're subject to error and fault. We have problems. We need Jesus. We need his help. That doesn't mean that parents don't have rules and we don't have standards and things. You understand what I'm saying, hopefully. It means that those rules and those standards are biblically based. I have a standing rule in my home, and I'm going to use the phrase, and pardon me, but you got a redneck as a pastor. Come hell or high water, we go to the church. Come hell or high water, we serve God. You may not like the way I put that, but that's how it's said in my home. Come hell or high water, we serve God. With or without you all sitting here. I love every single one of you. But if you weren't here, my determination and my family's determination is to serve God. I want to do it with you. Don't get me wrong. But I'm doing it with or without you. That should be your determination too. Ephesians chapter 6, just a little bit over, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. I told you to go to Ephesians 5, didn't I? Okay, good. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Mm. Dads, we have a responsibility with our children, don't we? You know what's funny? Hey, uh, let's read that again. Okay, just real quick. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In our culture, who, who brings up our children in the discipline and instruction? Moms do it, don't they? Why? Because there's a bunch of lazy men out there. And culturally, that's the way that it is acceptable. No, that's, that's my wife's responsibility. Or my wife does these kinds of things. Whoa, culturally, we think those things. And it's assimilated sometimes in such a way we don't even realize it. No, bud, that's your job. Now, there's a balance. How's that accomplished? And how do you guys do that? And so on and so forth. It's a, it's a joint venture. I'll give you all that. But at the end of the day, dad's... It falls squarely on your shoulders. That's important. I've heard this sometimes. Time, well, you know, my wife made that boy soft. No, you did. 
blaming your wife because your boy's soft is your fault, dad. Or they don't get it because of the wife. Oh, no, no, no. That's your responsibility. We take it serious. We should. It says, with goodwill, verse 7, well, uh, in verse 5, slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart or from the soul with good with good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slay or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with them. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength. And he goes on to tell them to put on the full armor of God. He gives them all those things. The point of it is, is that there's a definite order and structure in the home. And the foundation for our next point, which is exercising your talents within the church, in order for you to properly understand how to be a, a good functioning member of the church, we need to, as, as parents and as homes, need to have a properly functioning home in order for that to happen doesn't mean you're perfect. You understand that? That's not what I'm saying. If you spend any length of time with me or any of my family, you know we ain't perfect. There's a lot of flaws in there. I get it. But there are, some cert there are certain things that you must get right. And the hierarchy and structure of the home and the responsibility of you fathers and being the one that is in charge and you mothers knowing where you fit in that equation and having a good working relationship, an interchangeable relationship in which you are successful in your home. It reflects your participation in the body. Whoa. Because that is the foundation of the church. The second point is exercise your talents, your gifts, your resources in his church. In Revelation chapter 21, and I am mindful of the time, so I'm going to get to the, hopefully get to these scriptures pretty quickly. The 21st chapter of Revelation, in verse 9, it says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues, came and spoke to me, saying, Come, here I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit in great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her brilliance, like a very costly stone, a stone of crystal, crystal clear jasper. The church, now we just read in Ephesians chapter 5, that the relationship between the husband and a wife is just like Christ in the church. Amen? That the church is his bride. Revelation tells us is that, that we are the wife. The church is the wife of the lamb. It's important to understand that. It's also important to understand that that's all the way in Revelation that that's taking place. That we, as the church, have been predestined and predetermined, not the individual, but the church, the body, and we have been betrothed to our Lord and Savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
this is what I would say one of the textbook scriptures that you would ever grab. Like if you were going to talk about the church and the responsibility of church members and membership and things like that, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is textbook. It's absolutely textbook when you understand that this, what we see here today, is divinely designed and divinely inspired and also has divine implications. Amen? So the thing that he teaches us and this, that we are, look at this, just as the husband and the wife are inter, interchangeably, like, look, I, you need both for this thing to work properly. Just like you need God, Jesus, husband, wife, and children, right? How that all kind of melds in together. Like, oh, okay. Interchangeably working together, understanding the responsibilities that are associated with that. Funny how the church is designed almost exactly the same way. Does everybody in the church have the same responsibility? No, we know that. Are there different levels of responsibility within the church? Absolutely. Different functions? Absolutely. He tells them in verse 4, he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Hold up. For the common good. He goes on to, and, and listen, you guys can go back and, and read most of this. I want to grab verse 11. I would say go down to, you could read the whole chapter for context sake. I'm running out of time, so I want to I want to be mindful of the time for you all. But in verse 11, he says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. We've read in different places. That there are roles and responsibilities within the church. First Corinthians chapter 12 gives you that as well. It's pretty clear. The good thing is, is that when you join this church, when you become a member of this church, one, you get responsibility. You should find responsibility. Although there are some that are masters at figuring out how to get out of responsibility. We've all worked with people like that, right? Show up every day and figure out a way to not do anything, right? Then there's others that can take on more responsibility than they should. Not allowing those that are there to, to, to exercise their abilities. So there's both sides of that fence. It's a scale. But we must understand that there is, there is a divine design with a divine purpose and a desired divine outcome of the church. That each and every member, I love it because the way that the Lord designs it is that each and every member has a role and a significance and a responsibility. Listen, think about it this way. What, how fun would it be for me to stand before you today and preach to an empty room? You have to get pretty old pretty fast.
If we didn't have ways to inspire, to, to reach out into the community and to share and to, to, to do the things that we do as a church, you're like, wow, that's kind of, it's kind of boring without that. Why? Because it's not what God would have you to do. It's not a part of, a part of his design. It's not the fulfillment of what he's given to us in Scripture. Just like he has specifically outlined positions within the home, he has specifically outlined positions within the assembly. There is a definite order and structure. And thank God for that. Because in that order and structure, he gives us purpose and responsibility. You understand how, how important purpose is? That when we come together, that each and every one of you that's sitting out there, you have a divine purpose that God has set aside for you. And he just wants to give you the opportunity to exercise it. I just need you to do it. Let me give you that opportunity. The church as a whole, we should be in the position to create those opportunities for each and every member. Sometimes the contribution is small. Sometimes it's large. Sometimes it's just here, it's there, it's there. It's, 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 just, it's just a matter of creating that opportunity and using and understanding that our stewardship ties directly to that. Your third point. Live as though we will give an accounting. <laughs> Why is that important? Because if the boss man is coming back, and you got that in your mind, you might think twice about dilly-dallying around and going off and, and fiddle-farting with stuff, right? Getting caught off in the weeds. In Romans chapter 14, I'm reminded sometimes of the you know, real life examples that I remember one time it's been many times actually, you know, you have a crew and they're about to go to work, you line them out and say, hey, this is what needs to get done there's a defined objective by the end of the day, and you come back by first break, and they're still arguing about how it's going to get done and who's in charge or what's got to get done, not a lick of work has been done you know, it's pretty clear when that kind of stuff takes place that you're, you're arguing about the details when you should be busy about doing work. And you go, well, yeah, that's just work. No, it happens to us too. <laughs> it can happen to us. In, the four, in Romans 14 and verse 10, it says, but you do not, uh, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. We need to live as though there will be an accounting. An individualized accounting. We've heard all kinds of adages and things, and they're out there. They, oh, yeah, you know, excuses are like armpits. We all got them, and they all stink, right? 
You know, we, we, there's a parable that talks about they excuse themselves right out of the kingdom. And, and how many times do we blame other people for our own shortcomings? Listen, every one of us, there's, there's no such thing as an I, well, I don't want to say that. There are certain things that we all encounter challenges and trials and even trauma in our life. Do we not? Amen. If you suffered those things, there's ways to get through them and ways to work through them. But there comes a point where you cannot allow the trauma that you suffered because we've all suffered it. There comes a point where you cannot allow that trauma to be the reason that you don't grow. There comes a point. There has to come a point. You're 50 years old. And you're blaming the, you know, your fourth grade teacher for something. It's like, okay, man, come on. You know, at what point do we say that's enough, right? You got you to grow up. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Sometimes we've got to learn to give those things to the Lord and allow Him to work those things out in our life. And if you need help with that, I can help you with that. There's, there's people that we can point you to, and it depends on your struggles and the challenges. See, that's the beauty of like the, the church. You understand that, that you would be absolutely surprised if you spend a little time with God's people and the people that you're surrounded with. You'd be absolutely surprised at the things that they've overcome or the challenges that they have and that they can help you with. You would be astonished sitting right in your midst, right among you. Almost like, I don't know, God may have designed it that way. Funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> God, maybe he did that on purpose? Yeah, maybe. Takes a bunch of imperfect beings, puts them all together, right? And you go, oh, okay, maybe you can understand. But not everybody can always understand everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, For we must all before appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, you hear that first part, you're like, oh my gosh, the, the judgment. The recompense according to deeds. You're like, oh my gosh, that doesn't sound good. Folks, it's just it, it's no different than the examples of the parables that we talked about, the numerous parables that we have a master. He's going to return. He's going to come back. If you do well with what he's entrusted you with, you have nothing to worry about. If you squander what he's given you, you might get in by the skin of your teeth. The Lord does not reward squandering talents and gifts and, and, and things like that. He, it, it's, it's not done that way. 
He's called us for a purpose. He's called us with a reason. He's called us to a divine plan. And he's put us in a body. And he says, listen, I need you to do this. I need you to go to work. I need you to talk to these people. I need you to be with these people. I need you to go out into the community. I need you to be a vessel of me in this world. I've Every single one of you. He's called all of us to that. Sometimes we do good. Sometimes we don't. By the grace of God, hopefully we tip the scales to the good side. The only thing that he calls us to is perfection and love. The completeness of us, when we become perfect, this flesh will be done away with. It's when he comes back and redeems his people and glorifies us. We cannot let our failures or our shortcomings become our predicting behavior for every encounter that we have. You understand how that works, right? I failed last time, so I'll fail this time. Or it won't work. It's not what he's called us to. He's called us to put in the effort. Put in the work, and he rewards accordingly. And you look at that scripture, he says there, whether good or bad, that means that you and I, we have a choice. Our deeds can be good. Our deeds can be bad. In Revelation chapter 20, in verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, TV preachers don't like to talk about this kind of stuff. Why? Because it's not touchy-feely and doesn't feel good sometimes, right? But make no mistake about it, it's the truth. And understanding that there is a reason behind him writing these things, that while there is still air in your lungs and air in my lungs and our hearts are still beating, we got a chance to get it right. There will be days where you don't get it right. There may be weeks, months, years, who knows? But if you're sitting in here today, that ain't by accident. If you're listening to this message today and reading these scriptures here today, listen, it teaches you how to do it. The scripture says, look, you're going to get it wrong, but man, you can get it right too. The dead, both great and small, according to what they've done. He took the book of life and compared it. I believe the book of life is the word of God. The thing that we live our lives by. The blueprint. Remember, remember what Bible stands for, right? Basic instruction before leaving earth. He's going to take that same book. He's going to look at us. He's going to go, okay. You tried. You did a good job. One thing that I've learned in all these different things about stewardship is that in the most basic of principles, if you're putting forth the effort, there is great promise and reward for you. If you don't put in the effort, that is not the case. 
there's an accounting at the end of all this. And so it's important for us to understand these things. Lastly, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'll end here. He puts it the best. I, I really like it. <clears throat> and for those of us, and sometimes it takes, man, it takes, some of us are slow learners. And that's okay. God gives provision for that too. <laughs> In verses 13 and 14, that chapter says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. What a simplification of the, of the scripture, is it not? Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. Fear God. And keep his commandments. Mm. He's, he's given us enough information in here. He's given us enough. Refer back to it. Look to it. First off, submit yourself to it if you haven't done that. Submit yourself to the word of God. Submit yourself to the spirit. Submit yourself to the Lord. Give yourself the opportunity. Because there's one thing that is true and, and right. We read it just earlier. Is that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. We'll bow before him. Mankind is God's creation. God created man. He owns us. From every nation across this continent, all these continents, he owns us. We are his creation. There's only a few that choose to follow him and serve him. Especially if you look at it by comparison to the world. As the pianist comes forward, I want you to think about the things that, that the scripture, our, our, our seriousness of the stewardship that he's called us to. That we must choose God, his will, and his spirit. The basic principle that we have a boss. I'm using that term. I'm not trying to trivialize it, but I'm just trying to break it down Barney style, right, for us, so that you look at it and go, look, we got a boss. He's coming back. My job as a pastor is to warn you of those things. I don't do the job for you. I don't have a magic wand that can take these things away from you. But I can share these things with you so that you understand. You're like, okay, he's coming back. There's an opportunity in each and every one of our lives to understand that, to become better Christians. Some of us to submit ourselves to him. He is also not just our, our judgment, but he's our loving father, forgiving us and sanctifying us as we go through life, that he can take these sad sack of individuals that we are, because we are, that he can do something powerful and, and miraculous with us. What a God we have. Because I stand before, I'm a sad sack of a human. I'm telling you that right now. But the fact that God allows me to speak before you, to come up, to be your pastor, to be his witness in this world, oh man, I don't deserve it. None of us do. 
He gives us that opportunity. In spite of the fact that we're sin-filled beings, in spite of the fact that he sees all our flaws, he knows what they are. He knows the secret things that, that are in our hearts. He sees the things that you try and hide from your wives and your husbands. He sees the things that you hide from your family members. He sees the things that you hide from your church. He sees those things, but he still loves you. He hasn't turned his back on you. He doesn't. All he's asking you is, is, is to serve him. Just put in the work. Be a good steward. Be a good steward and I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. As we sing.